Well, we have some things that we'll be praying for here at the end of the service. And if you have something you want us to pray for that you didn't get in yet, you make sure that you tell one of the ushers, ask for prayer. We'll be happy to, to do that with you. If you would turn in your Bibles over to the book of Acts, chapter 6. Acts, chapter 6. Robert Russell tells a story from his, I believe it's his book, May All Who Come Behind Us Find Us Faithful. He says there's a huge rivalry in college basketball between the University of Louisville and the University of Kentucky. I am not a college basketball person, so I don't really know about that. But the story is told that one of the games between the two schools, an elderly woman was sitting alone with an empty chair next to her. Someone approached her and said, Ma'am, I rarely see an empty seat here in the auditorium. How is it that the seat next to you is empty? And she says, Oh, the seat belongs to my husband. And she says, Well, how come he couldn't... Uh, be here today. How come you couldn't make it? So, well, we've had these seats for 28 years. And um, unfortunately, my husband passed away. And he said, you, you couldn't find a friend, a relative, anyone else to come along with you to this game and sit here with you? And she says, oh, no, they're all at the funeral. Yeah, some people. Um, some people certainly like to uh, enjoy their college basketball, I guess. <laughs> we've been talking the last number of weeks about give God something to work with. Give God something to work with. Last week, we talked about how you can uh, hear something from God and have specific orders in what you should do, how you should carry them out. But we also mentioned at the end of it that sometimes we don't have specific orders and they have some general orders, much like this woman who went to the basketball game, felt like she had these orders, I guess, to go to the game no matter what. But God has given us some some orders, some things to do. And we looked last week at the people in the Word of God who receive something directly from God. Abraham, leave your country to a land that I will show you. We saw that uh, different ones had words from God that they were to follow. And, and most of the ones we looked at followed them. But what do you do if you're in the place where God has not spoken a specific word to you of something that you are to do? Are you left standing until God speaks something directly to you? What do you do in the meantime? So we want to take on that topic here today in Deuteronomy chapter 28, just in review. This is the verse of scripture we looked at first off. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. How many want the work of your hand to be blessed? So the thing that the Word of God promises us. You shall lend to many nations. You shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So as much as we want the Lord to bless all the work of our hands, there is a condition on this. And the condition is that you obey what the Lord says. Obey all that He commands, that you're careful to observe them. He says in verse 14, So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. So if you want all the work of your hands to be blessed, which we all do, how many of you know it's, it's one thing to do the work of God. It's another thing to do the work of God and be blessed. Have you ever taken on a project and it just doesn't seem to be blessed? It just seems to... Uh, to not work out quite as well. You know, un unexpected things happen. You know, a blessed project is one of those ones that you take on and no complications. 
you go to Lowe's and get everything you need on one trip. Right? That's a blessed, that's a blessed project right there. You, you take something apart and it goes back together just the way it did before. But um, that's not always the way that it is, is it? Sometimes we don't always see the, the work of our hand blessed that way. We took on a project over at the house. Somehow my wife and son got the idea that the bathroom needed to be remodeled. And so uh, we actually started out because the vanity needed to be replaced. And so we got a vanity to replace it. And, uh, and once we got the vanity, we found out that, I don't know if you know this, but the new vanities they make anymore, they don't have any, they don't go all the way to the ground. They stand up on legs. Well, the one we have in the house was the builder's grade thing, and it goes all the way to the ground. So when they put the floor in, they didn't put the floor underneath where the vanity is because you don't see it. The vanity goes all the way to the ground. So we thought, all right, well, maybe we ought to go back and find another vanity that goes all the way to the ground. And so we did that, and there are no vanities that go all the way to the ground anymore. They're all up on legs. So in order to put this vanity into the bathroom, therefore, the floor had to come out. So we took the floor out. While they're taking the floor out, the floor is this old-fashioned way of doing the floor, which is poured concrete. And then you put the tiles in the concrete, which makes it a very thick floor. So the floor is actually about uh, an inch and a half thick, almost two inches, which is not the typical floors that we have anymore. So we took those out, and of course, the, uh, as we were taking these things out, we noticed that some of the drywall was moldy. <laughs> so we took the drywall out as well. And in doing so, we also took the tiles out because there was drywall behind the tiles instead of the proper things that were supposed to be there, and that apparently was moldy as well. So now we stripped it all the way down to nothing on the floor, nothing on the walls, all that is left in the tub. And I got the wonderful idea that, you know what, this tub is 25 years old, <laughs> and if we ever have to replace this tub again, we're going to have to take down the walls, the tile, and everything else, and I really don't want to do that, so let's go and let's just replace the, the tub as well. So we went to the Lowe's and we picked up the tub. We brought the tub on home. We pulled the, the plumbing out and found out we had to redo the plumbing <laughs> because the plumbing doesn't quite fit where the old one was. Well, that's all well and good, but in order to do, redo the plumbing, that meant we had to take the drywall down from the kitchen. So the ceiling had to come out of the kitchen in order for us to get to the plumbing to redo the, the tub. <laughs> so, so we did all of that sort of stuff, and then we, um, some of you have been through all this, haven't you? And so we finally got the tub in, and we replumbed everything underneath to, uh, to be able to accomplish that. And uh, as we were doing that, uh, the brass fitting that was on the tub before got damaged. And so we had to redo the fitting, and so instead of going with the brass, we went with the cheaper PVC, which was great, except that you had to put it all together. So it hadn't meant recutting and remeasuring and doing all the stuff. So we got all that together. And as we put the floor down, we noticed that the place where the toilet was was going to be a whole lot higher than the place where it now is going to sit. So, you know, this involves a couple of different things. I consulted some different people, went over to the good old people over there at Lowe's, consulted them as well, and finally decided that we could do a shortcut. And as we were going through it, the shortcut apparently was not going to work. So what had to happen was the plumbing for the toilet had to completely come out. And so we decided to do that. We took the plumbing out, but then we found out we had to go back further because... <laughs> so we had to go run to the Lowe's again and buy us one single elbow because we had to go back further. And when we replumbed the whole thing all the way up to the toilet, and now we are good to go. <laughs> 
Isn't that fun? <laughs> but you say we have to do all this, and you know, we have uh, Christian gets home somewhere around four o'clock in the uh, afternoon, and I'm usually working at least until six, sometimes seven o'clock, sometimes later. And so we have to kind of take uh, uh, an hour, two hours, two and a half hours after I get done work, and and uh, sometime you know get dinner, dinner in there somewhere too. So we try and, and fit all that in. So it is progressing. <laughs> Just. Uh, not as quickly, I guess, as everybody would, would want it to. But you know how we want the work of our hands to be blessed. We just want to take on those projects, and you take it on, and it just, it just works. It just goes. And uh, you know, sometimes I would rather hire somebody to come in and do it because the work of their hands is blessed. They know what they're doing. You know what I'm <laughs> And I'd rather just, you know, you go and you do your work. I'll go in the shop and I'll make bunk beds to pay for you. But unfortunately, sometimes I have to work a whole week to hire somebody for half a day. So um, sometimes, you know, you say, well, it's a trade-off of some things. But, you know, I know what I'm doing in the bunk bed business. I can make a bunk bed and I can, you know, have it come out right. But plumbing, electric, you know, sometimes, you know, we're stretching ourselves a little bit on some of these areas. And it's... Uh, isn't quite working out the way we want it to be. But we want the work of our hands to be blessed. How many have you ever taken something on with your car? Not too many people do that. You just drive it into the mechanic and let them take care of it, right? I'm kind of of that, that belief, but my son-in-law and son have the idea that changing the brakes on your own is a good thing. And so we have endeavored to, to uh, change some brakes on our own. I have not changed them on my truck. If they go bad on my truck, we're going right to the mechanic and say, changed out the brakes. Because I've had experience with both of their cars. And I have realized <laughs> they are worth every penny to have them replace it for me. Now, they don't think that. They, they kind of enjoyed that uh, whole thing of uh, kicking around and messing with all the wrenches and stuff like that. But I just haven't fallen in love with, with wrenches yet and brakes and, and cars. But, you know, if you like that sort of thing, it's kind of fun. And you take it on and you learn some stuff as you go along the way. But... But it's so much better when the works of your hands are blessed. I mean, if you take those brakes off, they all come off right. The new ones fit on perfectly. Isn't that just the way that it should be? Just... But it seems like a lot of times we're taking on things for God. We're taking on things for the family. We're taking on things for the household. And you embark on these things and it just not coming out right. But that's not what the Word of God has promised us. He has said that I will bless the work of your hands. That means if you take on something at work, God is going to bless it. God is going to make it prosper. But in order for that to happen, we've got to do what the Word of God has set up for us to do because we want those things to, to happen. Now, sometimes we just have to have, to have faith. You know, when I, if I'm going to take on breaks, I, I guarantee you my faith is not where it should be. I almost have negative faith. <laughs> I almost believe something is going to happen that's wrong just to, before I even started. See, that's just not a good way to go. That's a, that's a doubter. <laughs> That's just not a good place to be. You've got to have the belief, I'm going to take on these breaks. I'm going to take on this, this project. I'm going to go after this bathroom. I'm going to go after this kitchen. And it's going to work. You've got to have faith in the, in the thing. Whatever we're going to take on for God, if it's going to be blessed, we have to have faith in the thing that is going to work. Well, we have to have faith in God and His plan. Whatever you put your hand to will be blessed. But just putting your hand to something won't cause you to be blessed. We looked at some factors that cause, there are some factors that are non-factors in this boldness in fleeing instead of pursuing, we said it was one. Just because you are bold 
doesn't mean that you are pursuing the right thing. Sometimes we are bold and we're running away from the thing. Uh, as Jonah. Jonah, he was bold in going to Tarsus. But that's not what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to pursue the thing of God, not run from it. There's obedience born of fear. Sometimes we obey simply because I'm afraid not to. Sometimes we obey because of necessity, obligation of remorse. We looked at Israel when they decided to obey and go into the promised land. Uh, it was born of fear, necessity, obligation of remorse. It wasn't born of the right thing. An effort apart from faith. Got to have make sure you have faith in the things of God. We looked at um, some other things as we went on. That there is great reward when we do what He asks of us, not what He has asked of others. Do what He has asked of you. We saw the woman who had the great debt. What do you have in your house? He's, and she said, a little bit of oil. He said, go out there and get all the containers you can, bring them in the house, close the door, and start filling up those containers with the oil. Most of us would look at that and say, that's a little bit of oil. There's a whole lot of containers. We always want to compare what we have with this, uh, worth the need that we have. Same thing with the bread and the loaves, or the, the loaves and the fish that were there for the feeding the masses. We looked at that the woman was in a position of need. She made her petition of God. She perceived what was asked for and she performed it. She did it. That's what we need to do with, with the things of God. We've got to make sure that when we ask, we perceive what it was He wants us to do and we perform it. We go out there and we do the thing. Last week, we looked at the catch. We looked at how Jesus said, after He was done using their boats, He said, go out into the deep and let's go out there for a catch. Let's go out there and let's get some fish. And Peter said, Master, we have fished all night. But at your word, we will cast out the nets. Now, we spent time on that. We looked at how Jesus said, go out into the deep and cast out your nets, plural. And Peter said, at your word, we will go out and cast out the net. We compared the net to all the nets. We looked at how poorly the one net was. We looked at how they were washing the nets and probably didn't want to get them dirty again. But hey, we'll make you happy. We'll go on out there and we'll take this net. Well, that net started to break. They had such a great fish. Sometimes God will ask you, and this is a hard thing for us to do. Sometimes God will ask you to do the same thing you have done before with no results. And that's a hard thing to do. Don't you know it? He'll ask you to do the exact same thing you have done before. But you see, before you did it without faith. And now he's going to ask you to do it with faith. Look at Peter. Peter didn't have great faith, but he had some faith. Look at what he said. We have fished all night and have caught nothing. But at your word, we will cast out our net. Hmm. That's some faith there. Not a whole lot of faith, but it's some faith. God can do a whole lot with a little bit of faith. And so sometimes you've got a business, you've got a job, and you've done some things before and it didn't work. And up in your spirit says, do this. No, I've done that before. It doesn't work. Hmm. That's not what you're supposed to do. If it comes up in your spirit, you need to listen to it. You need to obey and you need to mix faith with it. It is the hardest thing for us humans to mix faith with something that we have failed at before. But I've already done that. But I've already gone that way. But I've already interviewed there. But I've already pursued it. No, do it now. What's the difference in doing it now? You don't need to know. All you need to know is up in your spirit said, go out there and do it now. You go out there and you do it now. You got to listen. Acts chapter 6. I hope you're there by now. 
Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Isn't it good to know that even in the early church, there were people who complained? (laughs) It's not a new thing. It happened before. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may, may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer into the ministry of the word. So a need came up and they said, In order for us to meet that need, we had to stop doing what we're supposed to be doing. So let's find other people that are faithful. Let's bring them on in here and help take, take care of this thing. So they saw it was a need. Now, the widows in the daily distribution, if you've uh, been here on Wednesday nights, we spent a night where Paul taught how to deal with these widows. That he actually put them into four different groups. If you weren't here, you missed all that. But there were some things that had to go on. And so they said, let's get some people in here who can watch over this and make sure that it happens right. And the same pleased the whole multitude. Now, see, this is how you know these are spiritual people. Because the same pleased the whole multitude. How many times have we had solutions for things and it doesn't please everybody? You find some people who can come up with some great ideas on how to fix the problem and then there's somebody over there, nah, we're not going to do it that way. Nah, that's not going to, that's not going to work. No, I don't like it that way. We'll just keep on going the way we're going to go even though it's probably going to fail. And the same pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and whom they and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So we grab seven people, and we create what's called the deacon's ministry. And they're out there to take some care of some of the physical things, so that those in the, who were to, to minister were not mindful of these things. Because I'll tell you what, it is the hardest thing to be mindful of a lot of these kind of things when you're supposed to be in their ministry. You have to make sure that you do that. If you have a ministry capacity here at the church, if you're getting ready for ministry, make sure you keep yourself from some of those other things. Don't mess with it. I've told you a story before when I was an assistant pastor in church. My job... My main job, I saw my number one job was to make sure that the pastor was not hit with anything at all. In fact, I just put an edict out there, told them all, if you have any problem, if you have anything at all, you come to me. If I find out you want the pastor directly, I will come get you. And it had to happen once or twice where, you know, they went around me and they found out, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't you mess with him. And I had my office. They gave me an office and my office was right across from him. If anyone knocked on that door, I was up out of my chair. Doesn't matter what I was doing. I was up out of my chair. What do you want them for? I had to make sure that we, we had to take care of that. Now, there are times I was ministering too, but not Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I was there to take care of all these things, make sure that he didn't have to mess with that so that he could give himself totally to prayer and ministry of the word. And so when he got up there and, and, and took care of it, he, he didn't have to mess with any of those kind of things. And it's helpful for, for that. And so that's what the disciples are trying to do. They're trying to say... We need to make sure that we stay mindful of this, so we need to get other people who are going to take care of these things. And so they did. They found these seven people. They found some qualifications. They wanted people of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So they need to go out there and find somebody who has good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, 
and wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10 reads this. Wherever you find, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Whatever it is that you find to do, give it your all. Put everything you can into it. No matter how menial, no matter how uh, mundane it might seem, put everything into it that you can. Because God looks at how you deal with what you have before he moves you on to anything else. We do the exact same thing. How many of you know when you have kids that are two years old and you give them some things and they don't treat them right, then when they're three, you don't necessarily give them the bigger things. How did you treat that? You don't go and take an expensive electronic instrument and give it to a one and a half year old. They haven't shown that they can handle those kind of things yet. No, we, we, we give them other things. We see how they handle them. And that's the same thing that God does with us. He's looking for that. So these seven were, were sought out. They looked for these qualifications. Who's out there that has a good reputation? Who's out there that is full of the Holy Spirit? Who's out there who's been doing these things? Who's out there that has wisdom? And they looked for people who operated this way. So they had some things that they were doing. They had some things they put their hand to. And they came out and they, were, they saw that they were faithful of this. Well, the first one we come to who grows from this place of being a deacon and rises to a place of, of prominence is Stephen. And we see that he was faithful before and they gave him these things to do and he did those, but God also did other things through him. We put in your outline that could the disciples give this up, give up the Mary of ministry and not be distracted by it even if the seven did not have a pattern of faithfulness. Stephen, along with these others, had a pattern of faithfulness. Because you don't put something into someone else's hands and let it go unless they have proven that they have been faithful. They've got to prove that they have, uh, have some faithfulness. Put this in your outline too. If some are not faithful in their area, can it affect the signalness of purpose of their leaders? I'll tell you what, sometimes we look at things, you know, different churches have different ministries. How many have been in a church that has a parking lot ministry? Been in a church who has a, a whole lot of ushers? or been in a church who has uh, uh, d- different things set up, if those things are not going right, if the bathrooms aren't being cleaned, if the parking lot's not being attended to, if people aren't able to be directed in traffic as to where to go and what to do, how many of y'all know that has a big effect? In fact, if it's not being done, what is being done in the area of ministry is not often noticed. It's, it is known so much to be important that you'll find a lot of pastors... And a lot of people in ministry that if they're in a church and they're head usher, if they're sound person, if they're uh, projector person or uh, parking lot attendant, if they're not there, sometimes if no one else is available, one of the ones who's supposed to be ministering will leave that point of ministry to go out there and take care of it. That's how important it is. But sometimes we look at these things and say, what important is it? Well, it's important enough that if it's not being done that other people in other areas have to compensate for it and take care of it. Make sure you put everything you can in that. If I put in your outline this, when I view my ministry as ordinary, my faithfulness to it wanes. If you look at what it is that you do as ordinary, you will not be as faithful to it. So whose duty is it to maintain the vision of what it is that you're doing? Whose duty is it? It's yours. You've got to maintain the vision for what it is that you do. 
You can't be dependent on other people telling you what a great job you're doing. You can't be dependent on other people telling you, oh, sure appreciate how you do that. It's your job to maintain that. I put this in your outline. This is just kind of a side note, but most people who claim to be burned out have simply lost the magnificence of what they do in church. Keep, your, keep that vision of how magnificent it is, what you're doing in church, how important it is, and keep going at it. Don't stop. It goes on in verse 9. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenus, Alexandrians, and those from the Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. How many remember the series we did on Antichrist? The spirit of Antichrist, not the Antichrist, but the spirit of Antichrist. Remember what happens when this spirit, this spirit comes to infect those that are in political power, those that are in spiritual power, religious power, those who impact large numbers of people. When they cannot deal with the wisdom, when they cannot deal with the substance of what it is that you are saying, what is it that the spirit of Antichrist has them do? Tear down the person. Look at what happens here. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which they spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard them speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon them, seized them, and brought them to the council. And they also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to seek blasphemous words against this holy place. In the law, it didn't happen. It doesn't matter that it didn't happen. What matters was they got the accusation up there. I've heard people in political circles, I just get amazed at it, and they say, well, we don't see that there's any substantial reason for this accusation, but because of the magnitude of the accusation, we need to investigate. (laughs) Have you heard that? I've heard that with a couple. I just, you scratch your head, what? Doesn't somebody have to have proof? No, just as long as it's a substantial accusation, then we're going to go ahead and investigate the whole thing and see what they can stir up. Well, they did this here with Stephen. But see, here's what happened with Stephen. Stephen was faithful. He was doing the things that he was doing. People looked out and said, Stephen is a faithful person. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of wisdom. Let's put him in this this place of being a deacon in which he was taking care of non-ministry things. In the midst of that, he kept growing in the wisdom of God that people said he is steering people away from what we want them to believe. And they began to dispute him to try and come against what it was he was teaching them about the things of God, about the things of the Spirit, about the things of the wisdom of the Word. They wanted to get people out of that. And so they disputed him, but they could not win the debate. So they said we need to come against his character. We need to tear him down physically. And so they did this. Here's what I want you to see in this. Does Stephen, as far as we know in the word of God, does Stephen ever receive a word from God, you will do this? Does he get a word like, leave your country? Does he get a word like, teach my people faith? He gets no word that we looked at that other people had specifically to be in a particular ministry. All he did was general stuff. All he did was be faithful with what was given him. All he did was keep up a good reputation among the people. Which the Word of God teaches you, if you do these different things, you'll have a good reputation amongst even the heathen. And so he did those things. 
He pursued after the word of God and gained wisdom. He walked in the wisdom of God. The word of God tells us to maintain being full of the Holy Spirit. He maintained being full of the Holy Spirit. And they saw this man is full of the Holy Spirit. So they put him into this place. By doing the general commands that are in the word of God, he became elevated. But he didn't stop there. He became one of the first of the seven, uh, first seven deacons to start that ministry. But he didn't stop there. God kept using him in other places. And he just kept going, going on. Now, he's not the only one. Go back to verse uh, 6 in, in uh, Acts chapter 6. Now, Saul was kidding. Um, yeah, go back to verse 5. I'm just going to read it from the screen. Put it up there. And they same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Philip is another one. Philip was involved in ministry. Do we ever see in the Word of God anywhere? That the word of God came from a prophet. I will show him how much, how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. As Paul got. We don't have that about Philip. All we know from Philip is he was faithful and doing the things that were around. And then they saw that and they said, Philip, we want you to be a deacon. We want you to take care of the non-ministry things in the church so that we can focus on the ministry. Which Philip did. But Philip didn't stop there. He just did what was supposed to be done. He grew in wisdom. He was faithful. He had a good reputation among the people. He was elevated to this position. And in chapter 8 of the book of Acts, in verse 1, now Paul was consenting to his death, that is Stephen's, at the, at the time of the great persecution arose against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And the devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, remember Jesus' exhortation to the disciples when he left? First, all this was going to Jerusalem and then all of Judea and Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. That was the order they're supposed to go. So they go into Jerusalem. They went into Judea. And then because of the persecution, they began to go into other places, including here, Samaria. So Philip, he went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. What was he set aside to do? Be a deacon. A non-ministry position. But... He, when he found opportunity, he preached Christ. Why? Well, first off, he's, he has a good reputation. He's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Well, he went out there and he preached Christ. He did some neat things out there too. In verse 6, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So he went out into the city of Samaria and began to preach. And multitudes of people believed. They were hearing what he said and they were seeing the miracles which he did. Then it says in verse 7, For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out and many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. And we found out that even one who was a sorcerer saw this and was amazed at the power. And he wanted that for himself. So he became an evangelist and a missionary, preached the word, We're told that some of his converts, you all know the Ethiopian, 
the eunuch? Well, apparently they saw, uh, as, as we uh, learned, I guess, through history, whatever, uh, that it was a treasure of the Queen Candace, someone of a queen. So it's, he, he got a eunuch born again who went into a very influential place. The conversion of the Ethiopian introduced Christ into the region of North Africa. Because of Philip. Does Philip have a word that says, go take my word to North Africa? No. He just was doing what was at hand to do. He just obeyed that general call that was there. Much of Philip's preaching that we have was to the Gentiles. He was actually, get this, Philip was actually a forerunner of Paul. Paul went and preached to the Gentiles. Guess who did it first? Philip. He worked in every port city from Ashdod to Caesarea. You can see that over in Acts chapter 8, verse 40. On Paul's last missionary journey to, uh, the, um, on Paul's last missionary journey, he stayed at Philip's house in Caesarea. You'll see that in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. Philip had four unmarried daughters who were gifted with prophecy. And it was at Philip's house that Agabus came and warned Paul about the persecution that was coming. Remember that? That was at Philip's house that that happened. Well, Philip went on from there and he did pretty good, didn't he? He, he followed after nothing more. As far as we know, he didn't do anything more than follow after the general commands that God gave. That's all he did. He had no specific word and yet look what Philip did. Philip changed a whole lot of things. Now, we got a third guy for you to see. Go back over to verse 5. Acts chapter 6. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus. We don't know too much about him, so apparently he became a deacon. That's pretty much what he did. Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius. Apparently they all became deacons, and that seems to be where it stayed. But here we go. And Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. He's a proselyte from Antioch. He actually was not born Jew. He converted he was a convert. That's okay. There's a whole lot of converts in the Word of God. It's okay to be a convert. But when you were a convert in this world, he came from Antioch, which is over in Ephesus. They were idolaters. They were people who worshipped idolatry. And you know how, when Paul was going through some of these areas, how strong this religion had hold of people. So if Nicholas left it, what do you think happened with his family? It's probably cut off, right? So what it tells you is that, or, or, that Nicholas does not care a whole lot about what people think about him. There's a whole lot of people who don't care a whole lot about what people think about him. That's not a bad quality. It's just something that you can take note of. If he, if he cared a whole lot about what people thought of him, when his family protested, he may have backed off, but he didn't. He pursued after the things of God, and they saw three things. One, he had a good reputation. Amongst the people, which meant he was carrying out the things of God, doing the things of God. He was full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. But Nicholas doesn't quite go the same way that the rest of them go. If we, uh, I put this in your outline just so that you had the names for them. But these two early leaders, Irenaeus and Hippolytus, they recorded he was the, was the origin of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, there are some people who don't feel that it is, but these were two guys that were in that era so I'm kind of just taking on their word that um, it's the same Nicholas. 
Because the Nicolaitans were people who followed after the doctrine of Nicholas. They seem to have a belief that to have one foot in the occult paganism and the other in the things of God was okay. That seemed to be the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That you could have one foot messing around with the black arts, messing around with witchcraft, messing around with occultism, and the other foot in the kingdom of God, and you were okay. It's not okay. How many of y'all know it's not okay? You shouldn't be messing with that. You shouldn't be watching occult movies on the TV. You shouldn't be messing, buying occult books. Reading. You shouldn't be messing with it. You should keep yourself in the kingdom of God. But the Nicolaitans were of the mindset that it's okay to be mixing both. Now, there's some things that uh, were written to the churches in the New Testament. To the church of Ephesus, which is where Nicholas came from, that region. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That was a plus. But God is saying right here, I hate those deeds. If you're going to mix occultism and Christianity, I hate that. Later on in uh, the same chapter of Revelation chapter 2, Verse 14, to the church of Pergamos, but I have a few things against you because you have the, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So one city hated them. The other one said you have some in there who have embraced this. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, what that, we already told you what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is. What the doctrine of Balaam is, is basically the same kind of a thing. It is okay to mix Christianity with sexual morality and worldliness. Because that's what Balaam did. He said, look, well, I can't curse them. So instead of me cursing them, if you want to bring them down, here's what you do. Send your women over there and seduce the men into sexual morality. And you'll, you'll pull them down. And it worked. That's the doctrine of Balaam. You cannot do it. God says, no, don't, don't be messing with these. Don't be mixing these things. Keep them separate. Keep them uh, apart from each other. But Nicholas had done this. Now, Nicholas had the same opportunity as the other seven, the, other, the, the six of the, of the seven. Stephen flourished and went after, and people could not come. They, they couldn't do anything with the wisdom that he had. They had to come after his person. Philip went out there. As far as we know, Philip died a natural death. There's one account that says that he didn't die a natural death. But most of the other accounts have it that he died a natural death and that he took the word of God all over. That's pretty pretty neat. As good as Stephen was, and Stephen probably would have gone just as far as, as Philip did, except that he was killed. He became a martyr. And that really started a lot of the persecution. But Philip just kept on, on going. The other guys, apparently being a deacon was all they could handle or satisfied them or whatever it was, but they didn't go any further. But Nicholas began, he went further, but he began to take the wrong stuff. Remember, he doesn't care too much about what people think, more than likely because of what he he did with his family. So when people came to him and said, Nicholas, that's wrong to mix these two areas of doctrine. We realize you came out of Antioch. We realize that you came out of some of these places where there was great uh, witchcraft and idolatry. But you can't mix that with Christianity. You can't teach people it's okay to go after this 
and hang on to your Christianity as well. You can't do it. But he didn't, he didn't listen. This was a man who had a good reputation. This is a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. And this was the man who walked in wisdom. So much so that he was one of the seven selected above all the others. And he went down this direction. He went down this way. Nicholas did not have a word from God. As far as we know. He was just following after the general word that all the others did. That Stephen did. That Philip did. But they took it to great heights. And as far as we know, don't, I can't, can't, can't tell you for sure, but as far as we know, there was nothing ever recorded that Philip had a direct revelation from God. Philip, go and do this. He just did what was set before him continually. Nicholas mixed some things up. He didn't quite pursue the right thing. Don't think that messing with the world of Satan isn't going to have an effect on you. It will dullen you. It will cause you to be dull. How many have ever seen some of those off, those just awful commercials on TV for some of these uh, satanic type movies? What does it do to your spirit when you see those things? I tell you what, it should disturb you. It should, it should just cringe on the inside. I thank God for DVRs. Because we watch most of our stuff recorded and so we skip by all the commercials and we don't get to see those things. Every once in a while we watch something live and one of those things come on and you just want to flip the channel. Oh, why do we have to see this kind of thing? You know, I grew up in one of the worst movies when I was growing up, I guess uh, I, didn't, I never saw it. But I heard about it and that was The um, Exorcist. I don't know what the scenes were in there. But I, I've heard from what's going on in these ones today that it dwarfs them. That the, the Exorcist was mellow by comparison. And they just make these movies with all kinds of satanic stuff and, and evil. It ought to disturb your spirit. If it doesn't disturb your spirit, you have dullened your spirit. You've dullened it. It's, it's, it's dull. You still have it, but you cause it to be dull. It's not as, as functional. You're not able to discern the same kind of things as, as you should. And that's one of the things we've got to be careful of. Don't let this stuff get into, into, your, into you. Don't, don't, don't go into the movie house and sit down and watch these kind of things. They aren't going to help you. You don't need, those, don't need that stuff. This is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And God says, I hate them. I hate that doctrine. I hate that when those people grab hold of this stuff, I hate that. Why would we want to do something that God hates? You may not have a specific word from God. Go and do this. Teach my people this. Go into this place. Start this. You may not have any of that. You may never get it for the entire life. It doesn't matter. You've got general commands from the Word of God. And you can focus in on those things. Take the general commands that God has given you and you give your all to them. And if God never tells you anything else, you stay with that. And as far as we know, Stephen, Philip, these are people who never got anything specific. Do we ever have any calling that Daniel received? Does God ever say, Daniel, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to make you. No. He kind of set himself apart. I'm not going to do that because I had this command from God. I'm not going to follow after these things. Put this in your outline for you here at the end. Take the general commands of the word as specific ones for you. 
If you don't have a specific command from God, take the general ones that are in the Word of God and you make them specific for you. This is something I'm going to go after. This is what I'm going to do. Here's some general ones that you can... There's a whole lot of them. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just laying out a few of them here for you because I don't want you to go home and think, well, I wonder some of those general commands are that I should do. No, I want you to go home and be able to grab hold of something. But there's more than this. This is not an, ex- an ex- exhaustive list. Such things like be faithful. How many know that there's commands in the Word of God for us to be faithful? Be faithful with what? What you've been given. What you have. What talents, what abilities, what things has God put in your control? Be faithful with it. Be faithful. That's a command. You hold that as a specific and God told me to be faithful. Really? Yeah, he sure did in his word right there. It said, be faithful. (laughs) He told me to be faithful. And you live up to that like he spoke it directly to you. That's your specific word. Till you get something else, I'm going to be faithful. You know what else he told you? He said, study. He said, study to show yourself approved or work when it does not need to be ashamed. He tells Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. In other words, the work of your hands will be blessed. But you've got to study it. You've got to go after it. Well, that's just for people that are going to teach it. No, (laughs) it's for you. Study the word. Pursue it. That's a specific thing for you. Go after and study. How did people grow in wisdom? Studying the Word. That's how you do it. He says to pursue wisdom. So how do you get that? You take the Word of God that you study and you apply it to life. That's it. That's wisdom. (laughs) Take the Word of God, get the understanding that you have of the Word of God and apply it to life. That's wisdom. That's all you got to do. So pursue wisdom. Pursue uh, meditating on His Word. Well, the Word of God says to meditate. Proverbs tells us how much we should meditate on it. It's not just in to Joshua, but Proverbs tells us over and over. Psalms mentions about meditating on the Word of God. We need to meditate on it. Go over it and over it. I've, I've used it before. You know, Brother Doug Jones, I loved his, his thing on this. When he was uh, teaching us over Ramah, He said, meditate on the word. Sometimes that's blind to us. He says, look at it this way. Worry is corrupted meditation. Worry is simply meditating on a problem over and over again and seeing negative outcomes. That's what worry is. So he put it this way. Worry the word. (laughs) That's good and simple, isn't it? You want to meditate? Worry the word. Just keep going over it and over it and over it. How the word of God can work in your life. How the word of God can turn things around. Just go over it and over it and over it. Pursue it. Is the Word of God command you, exhort you, encourage you to meditate on the Word of God? Go after it. That can be a specific... Father God, I'm taking that one. I like that. (laughs) That's the one I'm going to hang on to. Because understand, you can't take all the general commands and focus 100% on all of them. But you can pull out a couple and say, this is the ones I'm really going to go after. What is it that you are fully going to commit yourself to? And you still keep stay mindful of all the others, but there are certain ones that you are really going to go after. This is, this is the one I'm taking for me. These are the one or two, three, four, whatever it is. Meditate on His Word. Be a light. How many of you all know the Word of God has commanded us to be a light? Yes. A light in dark places. That means you've got to show up in some dark places. You've got to be in some places that are not necessarily light. 
You've got to bring the light of the gospel in. If you're going to be a light, you've got to expect people in dark places to be pointing a finger at you, to be coming against you, because you're a light. You are going to attract attention. Be a light. Just know this kind of stuff's going to happen. But I am going to be a light. Doesn't the Word of God command us to have faith in God? Isn't that something we can focus on? I am going to be a faith person. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to have faith in God. Jesus commanded us in the book of Mark, chapter 11, have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. We should have faith in God. Not doubting Him, but have faith in Him. When God says something, and I see it in His Word, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to focus on that. Doesn't the Word of God command us to serve one another? Sure it does. I can take that command out for me. This is for me. I'm, I'm going to serve other people. Did God specifically say that to you? Yeah, He wrote me His Word. In His Word, He said, Steve, go out there and serve other people. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go out there and serve other people. And when you get tired of serving other people, what do you do? Go back to the Word. What's the Word say? Serve them some more. All right, go out there and serve them some more. Why are you serving other people? Because other people are nice? Because other people deserve it? Because other people are appreciative of it? Why do you do it? Because I serve God by serving others. And I want to serve God. So I serve God by serving others. So serve other people. Have but a command to love one another. Have but love one another as I have loved you. I can work on that. Father God, I'm going to be a person of love. I'm just going to go out there and walk in love and, and do some things. John, the Apostle John was one. I'll tell you what, he walked in love. He was known as the Apostle of Love. He walked in love. That was an area that he kind of just took for himself. He just seemed to focus on it. We get some of the greatest insights into walking in love through the Apostle John. First John, one of the greatest books you can read if you want to walk in love. To walk in love to one another. The Word of God tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, if it's up to God, it would just be done. But it's not up to God. It's up to you. Be, the actual literal Greek says, be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. In order for that to happen, I have to stay in God. I have to still, still be filled up. How many of you have one of those water pitchers at home that has the filter in it? Anybody have one of those? You know, if you want to have nice filtered tap water, you buy a little water pitcher. It's got a little filter in it. You fill up the top unit. It all kind of drains down the bottom. We got one of those in the house. And, you know, you fill up the top part and then it all drains down into the bottom and you got uh, nice, cheap, filtered water. And, you know, you pour things out from that. I like to fill up the ice cube containers because I think it's the stupidest thing in the world to have nice filtered water and put ice cube that's tap water. So whenever I filled up the ice cube, I filled it up from those. I'm about the only one I think who does. But that's just what, what we do. You know, we make iced tea. We, we want to make it with the filtered water. If you're going to make coffee, I don't make coffee, but other people make coffee. Make it with the filtered water. It's just going to taste a little bit better. I think I told you this before, but I used to sell water fi- purifiers, water filters. And uh, one of the tests we had uh, that we would do with this, and it only worked with a styrofoam cup. They told us this. So it only worked with the styrofoam. I don't know why it only worked with the styrofoam cup. But it only works with the styrofoam cup. Plastic cups have another smell, and you'd be catching the smell from the from the plastic. But styrofoam it works with. And so what we would do is we would go on in, 
and we would fill up a styrofoam cup of the water from the, the water filter that we put up on our tap. And we'd say, water is supposed to be colorless, odorless, and tasteless. So I want you to do this first. I want you to smell the water. You smell anything? No? All right, I want you to taste the water. We have them taste the water. Do you taste anything? No, it just tastes like water. All right, now we're going to get another styrofoam cup. And we're going to fill it with the water you've been drinking out of the spigot. I want you to smell it. Oh, I never smelled that before. I want you to take a sip. Now, sometimes I'm not sipping that. And, you know, you sold, you sold yourself a water purifier right there. <laughs> I'm not sipping that. Well, you have to buy one of these things now. And so they would, you know, and, and they, would, they would buy that. I love selling those things. But sometimes they would take a sip and they go, oh, that tastes awful. I've been drinking this. Yeah, and, it, and you see, you had to do it exactly the way they taught us to do it. If you veered off that plant at all, it had no effect. If you had them taste their water first and then taste the, the, the pure water, it had no effect. They'd say, well, this doesn't taste a whole lot different. The reason for it was if you put the pure stuff in front of them first and you get them to smell nothing, then they can smell the other one that has something in it. If you get them to taste the pure stuff first, and wash out their expectation of what, of what water tastes like. And then you give them the water they had before. Now suddenly, I can taste all that stuff. If you did it the other way, it didn't have any effect. And so you do, always had to do it this way. And, uh, and so, you know, you do that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's good stuff. It changes the way your iced tea tastes. It changes the way that your coffee tastes. It's, it's kind of good to, to have all that sort of stuff. We don't need to have all those contaminants, all those kind of things in there. But we used to go out there and we used to sell these things. I love selling those things. But you had to sell people on the need for it. You had to sell people on the, on the fact that this is the thing that you need to have. Well, how we get off on all that? I know we were going somewhere, but then it probably come to me a little bit later here. But we, uh, we need to follow after loving one another. We need to follow after being filled with the Holy Spirit. These are things that are specific for you. This is your, your way to go. This is what God has commanded you to do. And do it that way. When we would go out there and sell water filters, if we did it the way that they said, we had success. If we didn't do it the way that they said, we wouldn't have success. But if you take that water pitcher at home and you keep pouring water out of it and pouring water out of it and pouring water out of it, what happens? It becomes empty. So what do you have to do? You got to refill it. A water pitcher doesn't stay full. You got to keep putting more water in it. It's the same thing with us. We don't stay full of the Holy Spirit. We leak. We give out some, whatever. However it is, we don't stay full. We, we can leak. It can, it can go away. We've got to keep filling it up. You know, we have a, a fish tank at home. <clears throat> and when it's wintertime, the fireplace is going. It kind of dries out the air of the house. So you know what happens to the fish tank? Water evaporates, and I mean it evaporates a lot. I sometimes have to put in a whole quart of water every day because if it gets down too low, the filter starts sucking air. And I walk on by and I hear noise. Oh, it's not supposed to be going on. It's getting dry. i got to go over there and put some more water in it because it just gets empty. The Word of God has commanded us be being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something that you got to do. There's something that you got to follow after. You've got these general commands. You can be busy your entire life if God never gives you a specific command. You can be busy. 
Stop sitting there in your prayer time. Oh, God, give me something to do. Oh, God, speak to me. I just need... No, you don't. He's got giving you plenty of stuff. You're not doing anything with it. Go after that stuff. I put this in your outline. I hope you get this. I've used this with you before. But I'm sure it's been forgotten by many. Develop a pattern of being told once and doing it repeatedly. Instead of being told repeatedly and doing little. That's a pattern. How many of y'all know when you were young, you had a pattern of being told something over and over and over and over and over and not doing it? How many had chores when you were growing up? Take out the trash, do the dishes, clean the room, fold the laundry, whatever it was going to be. And how many times did your parents have to say, wash the dishes, wash the dishes, wash the dishes, Wash the dishes. Wash the dishes. Right? And we still didn't wash the dishes. Because we developed a pattern. And the pattern is being told repeatedly and not doing it. But eventually we got wise. Eventually we began to learn. You know what? There's a reward. It works better if I'm told it once. And then I do it. How many of you got a different response from your parents? And then as you got a little bit older, you also learned that if you did it without being told at all. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, was that that ever awesome? Remember the first time you took the trash down, washed the dishes, did whatever it was you're going to do without being told? You remember the response you got? You like that response better than being told repeatedly and not doing it. Develop a pattern of being told once and doing it repeatedly. If God has told you something one time, that's all the time you need to be told. Keep on doing it. Stephen, Philip, these guys were set apart because they were told something once and they kept doing it. Nicholas went into a different place because he was told something, but he would veer off of it. What pattern are you going to follow? You've got some general things that God has given us to follow after. Are you going to do it? Are you going to sit around and wait for something specific? God is not going to speak anything specific to those who do not listen to the general. You want God to bless the work of your hands? Be obedient to His commands, which is what the verse was we read when we began. Be obedient to the general things that God has said to do. And when you do, and you keep being obedient, Well, how long should I be obedient before I expect to hear hear something from God? Just keep being obedient. Just keep going. Keep working on those things that you're you're working on. Keep pursuing after them. Keep going after. And God will help you. God will help you. God will minister to you. What is it that comes after you? One of the things that jumped out at me when I was... uh, young and growing up, was study the Word. Study the Word. When I got a hold, I didn't get anything specific. God didn't say, Steve, I want you to study the Word. I just saw it in the Word of God. I need to study the Word. And I began to focus going after studying the Word. I was in high school. Specifically ninth grade. Ninth grade in high school, I got the idea I should study the Word. Well, how do you study the Word? Well, I began reading it. 
And I read it, and I read it, and I read it. Became obsessed almost with reading it. I was always reading it. I'd read it, and read it. I carried it to school. I read it between classes. Read it in study hall. Got abused for reading my Bible. Because no one else in school, 1,500 students, no one else in school was reading their Bible. I was the only one. I got beat up on the way home from school. I got teased when I would go to the restrooms because I was the only one reading the Bible. I was the only one carrying the Bible. But I kept reading it. I kept reading it. I read and I read and I read. And I did that until my high school years. And then all of a sudden I thought, you know what? Besides reading it, I ought to just sit back and study some of it. So I began to spend more time studying certain passages of it and learning more of it. I didn't have any specific word from God. I just did what he said in his word. I studied it. I studied it. I studied it. Just kept studying it. To this day, those times in those high school years when I would read through the Bible, and I just read and read and read. To this day, that was so many years ago. I don't know how many years ago it was. I'm not doing the math right now. But uh, however many year, number of years ago, I can still to this day sit down in my prayer time when God is saying, this is what I want you to teach on. And I can, in my mind, go through story after story after story from cover to cover. And I just sit there and review all the different stories that are in the Bible in my head because it was put in there. And I go over them and over. No, this, that's not the story that God wants. No, that's not the story. No, oh, that's the story. That's the one. And I get up from prayer and I go and I open the Bible to it. And there it is. I read it over. Yep, yeah, I see that in there. Okay, yeah, I see that one in there. It's not because I did anything great, anything phenomenal. I just studied the Word. Read the Word first, then I studied it. But you're going to have some general commands you need to grab hold of. And you need to say, I am going to be faithful with that command, with that word from God. Don't let it go. And you will be faithful with it until the day that you die, until the day that you go home with God. I have never stepped back from studying the word of God. I still pursue it because I know there's still more in there I don't know. There's a whole lot more in there I don't know. I love the story Brother Hagin would tell us when... Um, yeah, he was having a conversation about something. And he says, well, Lord, you'll have to show me that in the Word because I don't, I don't know that in there at all. And, he's, and the Lord said to him, he said, there's a whole lot in there you don't know yet. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? There is a whole lot in there I still don't know yet. I'm still out there learning. We're all out there learning some stuff because you know the Word of God is the wisdom of God. We don't have a whole all down. We're going to keep going after it. What is the general that you're going to go after? Because God will bless the work of your hands when you go after it. God blessed the work of my hands just in reading the Bible. I was able to remember things, remember details of stories. And I didn't try. I didn't sit down and try and memorize any of it. I just read it. But God will bless the work of your hands. What is it that you want Him to bless? What is it from His Word that you're going to focus your attention on and you're going to give yourself wholly to it? Not for a week, not for two weeks, but you will commit for the rest of my life, I will do this. I will serve others. I will love others. I will focus everything I can and I will be faithful in that. What is it that you're going to do? Would you all stand up with me? As we pray today, Jim left early. He was uh, having some uh, back pain. was very uncomfortable. 
And so I have a note that he, he had to take off and to, and to leave. So we will uh, pray for him. Um, what is it that's going on with you that you need to pray for? Some of you already got prayer just in praying with other people. You got some testimonies about that? Love to hear about them. But if you still have a need and you want a prayer, we'd be happy to, to minister to you with, on those kind of things. But would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in all the things that we do with life. I thank you for the help that you give us here today. You have given us a general call to do all sorts of things. We don't necessarily need a specific call that says leave here, go here, do this, be this. We can take your general call and apply ourselves wholly to it. And that's what we want to do. We want to apply ourselves wholly to your word. With every head bowed here this morning, if you say, I have not been faithful to the general call in a particular area, but I know that I need to be, and I'm going to renew myself. You don't have to say what it is, but I'm going to renew myself to this particular call that God has put on us as believers. I'm going to renew myself on that today. Raise your hand if you've got something. I haven't been doing this as much, but I'm going to start. I'm going to focus on this now. Raise your hand. That's me. All right. Very good. If you're here today and you haven't answered even the general call to be born again, to give your life over to God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or to walk in the, the love that He has given us. If you want to receive Jesus as your Savior today, raise your hand. We want to pray for you. Father God, you saw the hands of those that were raised and that they are committing themselves to a particular general call, a particular area that they are going to be focused on, they are going to pursue, and they are not going to be, let anything pull them off. Just as Stephen and Philip gave us the examples of ones who could take that call and go on with never anything specific given from God as far as we know but they just pursued the general call that was there and you did wonderful things for them we also have Nicholas who was an example of what not to do he wasn't faithful to those things that God had said to do and became faithful to outside influences to outside things we don't want to do that we want to be faithful with the things that you've given us Thank you for the help that you give us. That you will bless the work of our hands. We do need to give you something to work on. Something to work with. So we will be faithful and do the things that you have said for us to do in your word. We will commit ourselves to do them for the rest of our life. Regardless of what we see from others or what we hear from you. We will continue on. We thank you for it. We also thank you, Father, for the faith that is in Jim. As he believes God, it will be his. I thank you that doubt has no part in him. We just agree together, Father, that your faith just rises up on the inside of him. We thank you for that. The word of God is working in him. We thank you for the power of God that is always present, always here, ready to minister to us. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. It's good to have you all here today. Bless some people before you get going and get on out of here. Wednesday night, we're going to be finishing up our series on 1 Timothy. That will be uh, be happening there. Uh, this weekend, I don't think we have anything else planned outside of uh, Sunday. And then next weekend, if some of you guys want to head on over to the gun show, it's 
you don't have to necessarily go to buy a gun or anything like that. We're just going to, you know, we're trying to do some guy things together and we'll have that going on. So if you'd like to hit on out for that, that'll be on Saturday. Not sure about the time yet. You can talk to Keith, talk to me, let me know that you're interested. We're going to be developing what time we're leaving, what time we're coming back, stuff like that. It's uh, over at the Expo Center in Oaks for any, any of those doing that. The uh, sign ministry is still minish, minish, uh, meeting after church here today. <clears throat> All right. Well, bless some folks before you get out of here. Say hi to some people and have a good rest of your day.